Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. Uh, My family has always enjoyed reading books out loud to each other, especially in the car on family vacation. And uh, one of our favorites back when my kids were young uh, was the 1920 classic, The Mark of Zorro. Now, you probably know the story, even if you never read the book, because there have been many uh, movie adaptations of it. The story is set in 19th century Southern California, and the local area is being ruled by a greedy tyrant. Uh, But behind the scenes, there is this masked crusader, this writer of wrongs. By day, he goes by the name Don Diego Vega. And Don Diego is a wealthy landowner. He's kind of a wimpy guy. Uh, But he's got a beautiful girlfriend named Senorita Lolita Pulido. My kids loved it when I said that. And she wishes he was more of a man. But what she doesn't know is that at night... Don Diego puts on a black mask and he dresses all in black and he goes out to crusade against wrongdoing and every time he encounters and he whoops the bad guy, he leaves behind his calling card. Remember his calling card? He pulls out a sword and he goes, and there is a Z on some vertical surface. All right, so everybody knows Zorro has been here, the mark of Zorro. Well, welcome to week two of a series we're calling, That's Gonna Leave a Mark. (laughs) Jesus would love his followers to leave a mark on their world. Christ wants us to be difference makers, wants us to be people of influence, impact players. Last week as we began this series, we said, you know, before you can make a difference in anybody else's life, you've got to make a difference in your own character. Today we're going to focus on leaving a mark on our culture. Okay, our culture, and by culture, I'm referring to our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our schools, uh, even to a great extent, our country. Now, the truth of the matter is, our culture often has a bigger, bigger impact on us than we have on our culture. So if we're not careful, our culture's media and educational system and various forms of entertainment, business practices, peer pressure are going to shape our lives and shape them in ways that don't honor God. So how does Jesus want his followers to engage with the culture? Should we oppose it? Should we ignore it? Should we seek to transform it? Good questions. Uh, When I was a freshman at Wheaton College, a a Christian institution, every incoming student had to take a course, a mandatory course, called Christ and Culture. And we had to wrestle with, how does Jesus want us to behave and engage with our culture? Well, today we're going to take a look at an answer to that question in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. So if you brought a Bible, would you turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 29? Start looking for it right now. It's a little bit to the right of the book of Psalms. We're going to look at some steps that we could take to leave a mark on our culture. Now, let me give you some background to Jeremiah 29. Okay, Jeremiah writes this particular passage we're going to be looking at in about 594 B.C., 
He is living in Jerusalem at the time. His home country of Israel is regularly getting pummeled by Babylon, the superpower of the day. In fact, just several years earlier, in 597 BC, uh, Babylon has invaded Israel, has uh, defeated the city of Jerusalem, taken many people captive, including the king and important political and religious leaders, and swept them back as exiles to Babylon. And Jeremiah is still in Jerusalem, but he's getting word now that there are false prophets at work among the exiles in Babylon. And they are predicting that very, very soon God is going to overthrow Babylon, the exiles are going to be allowed to go home, and everyone will live happily ever after, which is good news for the exiles. But Jeremiah writes this 29th chapter of Jeremiah to say the false prophets are deluded, and they're misleading you. Now, you're going to be stuck in Babylon for some time to come, so you need to make the best of your situation. You need to figure out how to leave a mark on this hostile culture in which you live. Now, how are they going to do that? How are we going to leave a mark on our culture? Okay, let me, let me give it to you in four steps if you're taking notes, and I hope you do on that uh, mobile app we've got or you're writing something down in your own notebook. Step number one, we need to accept exile status. Okay, that's number one, accept exile status. And we're going to be, begin reading at verse four of Jeremiah 29. Let me read it to you. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And we're going to stop right there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The key word in this opening verse, and I want you to circle it if you've got your own Bible, is the word exile. You see that exile? Jeremiah was addressing a group of people who were now living in a foreign culture. They were no longer home. Now that was obvious to them. But, but it's not always obvious to Christ followers living in the U.S. of A. that the same thing could be said about us. We are exiles. We're living in a foreign culture. This world is not our home. I mean, when, when Peter, the Apostle Peter, when he addresses Christ followers in his first New Testament epistle, he calls us foreigners and exiles. Now, his original audience, he was not writing to people who were literally immigrants. They were all living in their home countries. But because they had surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ, they no longer identified with the culture in which they lived. And so they were exiles in their own land. You know, Peter was probably recalling something that he had heard Jesus teach his disciples years earlier. On the night that Jesus was betrayed and arrested and later crucified, Jesus had warned his disciples about what they could expect from the world. John chapter 15, verse 19, he says, If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. You do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, and that's why the world hates you. Uh, interestingly, Christ followers who've grown up in the United States, we have not experienced that hate to any great extent in times past. Our culture has seemed rather welcoming to Christian faith and biblical values. But the good old days 
as some people refer to them, the good old days are past. And that's quite a shock to many of us. Now, just a quick aside here, when I say the good old days, the days when Christian faith and uh, biblical values were, were prominent, this is mostly a white perspective, okay? If you're black, you probably don't look at those days past as good old days, especially those days prior to civil rights. Just saying. So Christ followers in, in our country tend to have a fanciful recollection of a time when Christian faith and biblical values were, were prominent in the culture. But what Peter said and what Jesus said about us actually being exiles, exiles in a hostile culture, is becoming more and more obvious to us. You know, I, I, I love Dorothy's classic line in The Wizard of Oz. You know, Dorothy's house in Central Kansas is whisked off its foundations by a tornado and carried to the strange and wonderful land of Oz. And she looks out her, her front door and she's clutching her little dog Toto and she says, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Remember that? We're not in Kansas anymore. Listen, Christ followers, if there ever was a time when we felt more at home in our culture, we are not in Kansas anymore. Or as a Christian leader, a good friend of mine loves to say, we are no longer the home team. No, we're not. But friends, that has, listen, that has never been Christ's intention for us. Dr. Daryl Bach is a New Testament scholar. I have a number of his Bible commentaries on my bookshelves. And he has recently written a book called Cultural Intelligence, Subtitle, Living for God in a Diverse Pluralistic World. I highly recommend it. Uh, we're selling it at our bookshop at the St. Charles campus, or you could go online and pick up a copy for yourself. And Dr. Bach writes, Some Christians long for a return to the past in hopes of recovering what has been lost, a goal at the heart of the culture war many of us have fought for decades. However, Scripture has made it clear from the beginning that people of faith would always be a remnant within society and that to follow Jesus would mean experience, experiencing pushback from the world. Christ followers in our culture are a remnant, Dr. Bach says. We're a minority group. We're a bunch of exiles. Now, there are two ways that we can respond to this reality. On the one hand, we could refuse to accept it. Okay, that was the response of the people that Jeremiah was addressing. They were listening to the false prophets who were predicting that Babylon would soon be, uh, be overthrown and they would get their culture back. Drop down to verse 8. Jeremiah 29, let me read Jeremiah's response to these false prophets, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. And so Dr. Bach warns us that there are similar false prophets in Christian circles today. He writes in his book, he says, we, we speak of penetrating the world, of, of conquering it. 
Those images could not be more misleading about what we're called to as a church. Our calling is to invite people into sacred space, a space that operates in and penetrates the world, but does not, listen, but does not take it over. You follow what Dr. Bach is saying? Our, our job, he says, as Christ followers is not to wage a culture war. Our job is not to take America back. We belong to a different kingdom entirely. Dr. Bach refers to it as a separate, uh, sacred place that operates within our secular culture. And our mission, he says, is to invite people into that space, invite people into that kingdom by surrendering their lives to King Jesus. You know, this is how Jeremiah wanted his readers to view their exile in Babylon. They they were never going to win a culture war against the Babylonians. However, they could begin to see themselves as being on a mission. A mission in the midst of a foreign culture. Listen to how Dr. Philip Riken, Dr. Riken is a Bible scholar who happens to be the president of Wheaton College and has written a commentary on Jeremiah. Listen to what he says about the, the exiles living in Babylon. No doubt when the captives discuss their sojourn in Babylon, they use words like abandoned or banished or condemned to describe what God has done to them. But that is not how God sees things. He views the exile as a mission. Nebuchadnezzar has not carried them off to Babylon so much as God has sent them there. The exiles are not captives, they're missionaries. I love that. It reminds me of something Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20. He says, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are Christ's ambassador. Now, what does an ambassador do? Okay, if you're an ambassador, you move to a foreign country. You live in a foreign culture. But your calling is not to wage a culture war against that culture. Your your calling is what? You are a representative of your president. Your your job is to extend an invitation for engagement in a relationship with your leader. How do we leave a mark on our culture? Step one, we accept our status as exiles, but exiles who are on a mission. Not as culture warriors, but as ambassadors who are extending an invitation to a redemptive relationship with our king, King Jesus. You get it? Good, good. Number two, how do we leave an impact on our culture? Number two, do normal things in a God-honoring way. Do normal things in a God-honoring way. Let's go back to Jeremiah 29. Pick it up at verse 5. This is God's word through Jeremiah to the exiles. He says, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. So how do we leave an impact, have an impact on our culture? How do we leave a mark? Okay, now some Christ followers say, well, you start at the top. Okay, you you gotta have a change in your country's leaders. And so you vote out the bad guys and you vote in the new guys. 
And so for a number of years now, many Christ followers have putting their eggs, been putting their eggs in the basket of politics to bring change. How's that working for us? You know, it's tempting to think if we could just change the political scenario, things are going to change. But it doesn't improve the culture, does it? You know, I have a good friend who wrote me an email this past week. He's been attending Christ's community with his family for some time. He moved here from a different country 10 years ago. And he wrote this past week to say that was a beautiful time of prayer that we had corporately last week. If you, you missed it, oh my goodness, we got on our knees. We prayed for our nation. We confessed our national sins and we pleaded with God to heal our land. And this brother in Christ, he wrote me to say, you know, we were attending the service online and my family, we all got down on our knees together. He said, I moved here 10 years ago. We became citizens two years ago. But I am just so sad today. I'm just so sad. So if politics doesn't work, others say, well, you know, new laws, new laws will change the culture. So let's get laws that outlaw the killing of unborn babies. Let's get, let's get laws that protect social justice for the sake of people of, of color. Now, I am all for campaigning for new, for better laws. But let's not be naive thinking that those laws will change the culture. Because in order to change the culture, you've got to change people's hearts. And laws don't change people's hearts. As Daryl Bach points out in his book, Cultural Intelligence, he says, Israel had God's laws. God's laws. And the country was still a mess. So yeah, yeah, let's change, let's protect the lives of the unborn. But a law that does that will not make people value the unborn. Laws that provide social justice will not change the hearts of people and uproot the racial prejudice in our hearts. We need a heart change. So what will entice people in our culture to seek this heart change that only God can provide? You know, the answer in Jeremiah, in chapter 29, is do normal things in a God-honoring way. And then people in your culture will see that and they'll say, this is what I want for my life. You know, another quote from Dr. Bach in his book, he says, we are called to be an incarnation of God's presence in the world. His audiovisual in a unique set of individuals and a special community. His audiovisual, how we engage in showing God's grace and character matters. So what are some of the normal things that Jeremiah challenges us to do in a God-honoring way that will serve as an audiovisual? People will see it and say, I want that kind of a relationship with God. Well, I see at least two examples in this passage. The first has to do with our work. Our work. Take a look again at verse 5. You know, God tells the exiles through the prophet Jeremiah that they should build houses, they should plant gardens, they should eat what they produce. I mean, this was their everyday work in an agrarian culture. And the way in which they did it, again, to use Dr. Bach's word, was an audiovisual for the people around them. It showed the way to God. 
You know, the Apostle Paul says something similar in his New Testament epistle to Titus. He gives Titus some some instructions for how Christ followers are supposed to behave on the job when they're at work. And then he concludes his remarks with this phrase. This is Titus 2 verse 10. He says, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. See, when Christ followers show up at work and they work hard, when they're honest, when they're not gossipy, when they give credit to people who deserve it, when they're respectful, when they're loyal, it draws coworkers to Christ and it leaves a mark on the culture of the place where they work. Please don't think that just because you're, you're not the boss, you can't have an impact on your work culture. You can. Just start doing normal things in a God-honoring way. Now, there's a second example in Jeremiah 29 of the normal things we can do in a God-honoring way, and it has to do with our family. Look at verse 6. He talks about getting married, raising kids. This is a huge way to draw a watching world's attention to Christ and to leave a mark on our culture if, there's a big if here, if, We are expending time and energy, making an investment in our kids so that our kids come to know Christ and love Christ and serve Christ. You know, I'm going to be focusing on family two weeks from now in this Leaving a Mark series, but today let me just point out that we often have grandiose dreams about how we're going to make a difference in our culture through our career or through some cause that we're part of, and we get so busy chasing our career or campaigning for that cause that we miss the everyday impact that God wants us to have on our kids. And so we're, we're not sharing God's word, we're not reading God's word with them. We're not engaging them in kids' world or student ministries, and that's hard to do in the midst of a pandemic. You know, we're not inviting them to join us as we serve. We're not only not serving ourselves, but we're not having our kids join us as we serve the church or we serve our neighbors or we we serve the poor. Just do normal things in a God-honoring way. That's how to leave a mark on our culture. I love the way that Mother Teresa puts it. Not all all of us can do great things, she says, but we could do small things with great love. You may not be able to do great things, but you could do small things with great love. Now, let me give you a quick example of somebody who did that. Mr. Rogers. (laughs) Mr. Rogers is a hero of mine. About a week ago, I was thinking to myself, you know, I'm so sick and tired of watching the news and seeing uh, horrible examples of of leadership, and I I just need to change the channel. I need a positive influence. I I need to take a look at somebody's life who made a... uh, a good and healthy and robust difference in our culture. And so I picked up a copy of a new biography, The Good Neighbor, new biography about Fred Rogers. And it says in the uh, flyleaf of that book, it says, Fred Rogers was an enormously influential pioneer in the history of television for almost 40 years. Now that's leaving a mark on culture. Okay, how did he do it? The flyleaf continues. Well, he was a champion of, listen, compassion, equality, kindness, 
Rogers was fiercely devoted to children and to taking their fears, concerns, and questions about the world seriously. I came across a great story in the opening chapters of the book about the time that uh, Fred Rogers was invited on Oprah. And uh, his show was just beginning to gain some traction, so his producers thought this would be wonderful, free advertisement. I mean, this is just, this is marketing. This, you know, this will help the show. So they encouraged Fred to accept the invitation. And then they called Oprah and they said, by the way, it would be a good idea not to have any kids in your audience. Because if you have kids in your audience, Fred won't pay any attention to you. He'll be riveted on the children. But Oprah didn't take their advice. Oprah thought, well, goodness, this is going to be a great visual effect if we have some kids sprinkled in the audience. So kids were there with their moms. And Oprah got about 10 minutes into the interview and she opened it up for questions for the audience. And kids started raising their hands and asking questions. And Oprah lost all control. And Fred was zeroed in on the children and one little girl jumped up and ran down the the aisle and onto the platform just to give him a hug and a little boy burst into tears because there was a toy train just like Mr. Rogers' neighborhood on the front of the platform and he was scared it was going to fall off and Mr. Rogers was consoling him. How did Fred Rogers leave a mark on his culture? By seeking to become a TV success? No. By showing kindness, by showing kindness to kids. Number three, work for the good of others. Work for the good of others. Back to Jeremiah 29, verse 7. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So how do you leave a mark on your culture? Well, you seek the peace and prosperity of others. By the way, way this word peace is that really robust word shalom in the Hebrew that speaks about wholeness. This is why, you know, Daryl Bach writes, you know, in his book, Cultural Intelligence, this is why we need to stop taking a culture war approach to difference making. In the culture war approach, he says, we have all too often grown misguided in the mission, making people the enemy. Do you have a tendency to do that in our culture today? Do you watch the news and and that's my enemy there? In that faulty execution of our assignment, he continues, we have actually damaged the church by robbing it of its good news. See, our challenges to culture, which were intended to attract, have sometimes been expressed so hard and so heartlessly that the recipients have been repelled instead. You hear what Dr. Bach is saying? You know, we want to be difference makers, but we're turning people off by our approach. So whether our our issue is saving unborn babies or it's uh, promoting social justice or You know, maybe it's just improving the way that management treats people at the place where we work, or it's ending the gender confusion in our schools, or it's changing the stupid rules of our homeowners association, or it's correcting the dysfunctional dynamics of our extended family. We are always gearing up for a fight. You know, that's how we aim to change things. 
Well, that's not seeking the peace and prosperity of others. Dr. Bach writes, he says, our engagement should come with gentleness and respect. It's not to be delivered with fear or anger or resentment, but with hope because it's hope we share. We need to recall that there was a time when God was gracious to us while our backs were turned on him. We should be able to understand what it means to be opposed to God and how God drew us graciously to him. Do you know how he did it to you? When your back was turned to him? How he wooed you? How he gently drew him to your, you to himself? You want to make a difference in our culture? Convince others, especially those who disagree with you, that, that what you want from your heart of hearts is their peace and prosperity. Now, that's, it's not going to happen if you're ranting on social media. You know, if I had a magic wand, I would wave it over all Christ followers, especially those at Christ Community Church, and make social media go away for at least six months. Because there are, listen, there are way too many angry Christ followers on social media ranting about current events, both from the right and from the left. And friends, we are embarrassing ourselves and we're turning people away from Jesus. And flame-throwing Christ followers are destroying churches. Because we got Trump lovers versus Trump haters, and we got mask wearers against non-mask wearers, and social justice advocates against conservatives. And if the church doesn't hold my position, I'm out of here. It's happening at Christ Community Church. Is this how we're going to leave a mark on our culture? Let me tell you, it's leaving a mark, all right. But it's not the mark that Jesus told us to leave. Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples by what? Say it. By your love for each other. Other people in your church, brothers and sisters in Christ. Work for the good of others, even those who oppose your values. Seek their peace and prosperity. Here's a quick illustration of what this looks like. My daughter Emily is a social uh, child welfare advocate, social worker in Portland, Oregon. Uh, she is also the mother of three young children. And so she hangs out on a Facebook site for young moms. And recently, a woman named Elizabeth posted a plea for advice. She said, I'm living with my boyfriend, uh, I've got a, a child in the home already and a baby on the way and my uh, boyfriend doesn't want the baby, so what do I do? Emily tells me a couple of weeks ago, she says, Dad, 52 responses, I counted them, 52, she said. And, 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 and not a one of them says anything about keeping the baby or giving birth to the baby. They, they, they all, quite contrarily, say, don't let a baby wreck your life. You know, don't let anybody guilt trip you into having a baby if you choose to abort. 52 out of 52. And so Emily decides to engage this person, Elizabeth, on Facebook. 
And in a very kind and a gracious way, she says, I get what you're going through. I can only imagine the confusion, the hurt. And she says, I'm, I'm here for you. If you need help, I'm a social worker. I could uh, connect you with a counselor. She said, you know, that baby's life is very precious. It's so, it's so precious that if you need help, I'll take your baby. I was never so proud of my daughter. Now, it turned into kind of a humorous thing later in the day when she had to let her husband know that she had offered to take the baby, you know. We're not going to change our culture if we're screaming at it, friends. Look for opportunities to do good. Seek peace and the prosperity. If you want to leave a positive mark on your workplace or school, on your neighborhood, on your country, look for ways to work for the good of others. Seek peace and prosperity for even your enemies, even those wicked Babylonians. Number four, look forward to Jesus' ultimate kingdom. You know, I only have time to briefly mention this closing point, but it's such an important point. So let's read the rest of the passage together, beginning at verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. And now we come to a very popular verse, a verse that you've heard quoted before, but I bet you've never heard it in context. Okay, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future, and then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Now, this promise was partially, partially fulfilled in 539 B.C. You know, by uh, Cyrus the Great, the emperor of Persia, Persia, had conquered Babylon. And one of the first things that King Cyrus did is he allowed the Jewish exiles to return to Israel if they so desired. And now I say that was a partial fulfillment of what we're looking at here because the sort of flourishing that's promised in these verses I just read to you never happened in ancient Israel post-exile, not in a big way. So most Bible scholars feel like a passage, that a passage like this refers to the promise that God makes of an ultimate kingdom, the kingdom over which Jesus rules. He will set up this kingdom and reign over it when he returns to earth. But what does this have to do with leaving a mark on our culture today? Simply this, and this is really, really important. Although we are currently exiles, we are not losers. We are exiles, but we are not, we're on the winning side. We know how the game's going to end. We know that, that evil will be eradicated and that justice and Jesus' reign will triumph. 
Christ followers tend to forget that we behave as, what, as if what's going on in our culture today is the whole enchilada. So we watch the news and we're discouraged and we're grumpy and resentful and lashing out at others verbally and ready to throw in the towel as difference makers. Listen, Jesus lovers, Jesus wins and Jesus' team wins. You know, in the words of one of my favorite hymns, and I close with this because we're going to sing this together. This is my father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world. Why should my heart be sad? Jesus is king. Let the heavens ring. God reigns. Let the earth be glad. Amen and amen and amen. Pray with me, would you? Oh, Lord God, this is going to be a really good week to test what we've just learned from your word. Will we be grumpy? Will we watch news events, shake our heads, gossip about them with others? Or will we bring light to a dark culture, salt to a culture that's rotting away? Will we seek to do good? wanting the peace and prosperity of those around us, even those we didn't vote for or those who are doing things we prefer they not do. God, help us to stop screaming and start loving. Help us to apply this passage we learned today and make a difference in our world. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.